Mennonite, Seattle Mennonite Church this morning, whatever this time of pandemic and isolation may bring, we know, we trust that the Holy Spirit is still moving among us and connecting us, and that this time is something to claim, not just to as something to endure, but as an experience that we're sharing together and that's really shaping us as a community. Today, we hear a story from Luke's gospel, two stories actually, stories about healing or return to life. The servant of a soldier, <coughs> excuse me, an occupier, an invader, and the son oh, yeah. of a poor widow. Before we go further, I would like to um, use the land acknowledgement that's from our Voices Together hymnal. Megan used it last week, and we may continue to use these words, or we may continue to, we may sort of go back to using words that we create on our own, but we, we're liking to highlight um, the words that other folks in our broader Mennonite community will be using and naming. We acknowledge that we are gathering on the traditional territory of Indigenous people. Here in Seattle, that is on the unceded land of the Duwamish. We affirm that settlers have specific responsibilities in the journey of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. As a congregation, we contribute to real rent to the, to the Duwamish tribe, and many of our households are also real renters. We give thanks to the Creator and to the peoples who have stewarded our land for generations. We're grateful for the opportunity to live and work and worship here, and we are witness to the reconciling movement of the Holy Spirit. We seek to live in right relationship with our indigenous neighbors and with all of creation. Our gathering song for this morning as we continue into our worship is here in this place. Um, and even as we're singing about a specific place, uh, I wanna acknowledge that the spirit is in each of our places with us worshiping and also connecting us in this place, that this unique place that is this screen, whatever this third place is that's connecting us. So let's continue our worship together. in a moment of synchronicity, just as I sang about light streaming. Uh, in fact, the light streamed outside my window. A beautiful thing. Our call to worship, for a call to worship this morning, I will uh, speak the leader part and Pastor Megan will 
speak the responses and you're welcome to speak those along with her. It's uh, popped up in your chat. Open our ears. To hear your word. Open our eyes. To see your presence. Open our arms. To the embrace of community. Open our minds. To the beauty of truth. Open our hearts. To the joy of new life. Amen. We light our just peace candle again this week and always acknowledging that we both witness to and participate in God's vision for a just peace for all of creation. Today, especially, I want to name and remember and mourn that the death penalty is still a means of punishment in the United States. In fact, the US Department of Justice has carried out 13 executions in just the last seven months. Now, with the new federal administration, we have a new opportunity to speak prophetically, to be witnesses for just peace, calling for true justice, a justice which does not seek death, but which affirms life. Uh, if you'd like to, you can follow a link. I think there's that we have a link handy and that Megan will post for more information about how to act and how to advocate. And together we pray, we long for a just peace, we pray for a just peace, we choose to live for a just peace. Peace be with you. And also with you. We'll continue our worship with song. Let there be light, O God of hosts, let there be wisdom on the earth, let humanity have birth, let there be deeds instead of boasts, within oppression hearts instill, the combatant strain and strife. Make us your ministers of life. Drive out the urge through curse and kill. Give us the peace of vision clear to see each other's good or wrong. To joy and suffer not alone the love that casts aside all fear. Let woe and waste of warfare cease, that useful labor yet may build its homes with love and laughter filled. God give your wayward children peace. For children's time today, we're continuing down the road with Jesus. I'm going to go back just for a minute to remember where we started. Started not with Jesus, actually, but with visitors to Jesus who 
who were the first visitors of the Holy Family. And then we walked down the road and spent some time with Jesus in the synagogue, his first sermon where he proclaimed words from Isaiah, good news to people who are poor and liberty to people who are captives and healing. And then we went down a little bit farther and we, we met uh, not only Jesus, but uh, Peter and James and John, and they became Jesus' first disciples who walked down the road with him to another synagogue where Jesus healed someone whose hand was deformed and who talked about breaking Sabbath rules about work to heal someone, to do good always on the Sabbath. So today, as we go a little further down the road, my footsteps are getting messier and messier as we go along. We come to a little town. We make some little buildings for our little town. This is a town called Nain or Nain. We were trying to figure out exactly how it was pronounced before, but it's spelled like that in English. And in this little town, there are many people. And again, here are my little messy people in the town. Jesus and his disciples come to this town. And the reason the people are gathered this time is because there's a man who has died. There's this fellow. And he is the only son of a woman, the only son of a widow. So she has no husband. She has no other children. And so, of course, she's very, very sad because these are her tears. She's very sad because her son has died. And not only because that she, she is going to miss him and she loved him, but because he was the one who, was, who could take care of her. He was the one who would, would make sure that she was okay. He was probably the one who earned the money in her family. And Jesus sees that this is happening, that the crowd has gathered and then that, that this woman has lost her son. Oh, Jesus needs a head. Jesus sees this and he comes over to the man and he, he speaks to this dead person, to this man. And he says, rise. So that's what he speaks to this person. And well, what do you think happens? The man does. He gets up. He's no longer dead gets up and he speaks. The, the, the story doesn't say what he says, but I'm going to say he says, I'm alive. He speaks and he speaks to the crowd and the crowd sees this and they're so terrified. They're so scared that they see this happening. And I think I would be very, very frightened too if I saw that happening, that someone who was dead became alive. I've seen enough uh, scary ghost movies and zombie movies to know that that might be very frightening, but also miraculous and amazing. So that makes them frightened, but also it makes them, this crowd, this town, praise God. So everybody is both a little scared, but also they see how amazing this is and they praise God because this man has been returned to her son, or this man has been returned to his mother who of course loves him very much and she's very happy. Her tears probably disappear, but maybe she's also a little bit frightened and everybody's wondering what has happened. 
And because of this, because, because they're feeling a little bit scared and also very excited, word about this happening spreads everywhere. They, all of these people in this town, go tell people in other towns all around the area. And word spreads about this amazing thing. Next week, Jesus' journey is going to continue on the road. And I might have to add a page for the next part of the story, but we're going to meet Jesus on a road, but it's a road that goes up a mountain. So that's what we're going to hear about next week is Jesus going up a mountain with his disciples. Our scriptures today come from the seventh chapter of Luke. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. The centurion there had a slave woman whom he highly valued and who was ill and close, close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When Jesus saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak. Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on God's people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks, thanks be to God. God. Thanks be to God. I begin with a question that I am guessing every single one of you have heard at least once in your life. 
I've got some good news and some bad news. Which one do you want first? Okay, so it's a rhetorical question. Obviously, at this point, we're not going to have you all on mute. Um, but the, my follow-up question is, does anyone ever pick the good news first? Anyone? Don't we all pick the bad news first so that we can end with the good news? Maybe it's just me and I'm projecting on all of you. <clears throat> Today's passage in Luke with the two stories feels a little bit like this to me. And at least Luke got the order right for me. First, there's some bad news. Then there's some good news. The bad news is Jesus heals a slave, but does not liberate him from slavery. The good news, Jesus sees the suffering of a woman. And without asking her to profess faith or to do anything without her having to ask at all, he reaches out to her in compassion and mercy. The first story that we heard is a story of a centurion, a Roman soldier, a Roman soldier with some significant power, a soldier who is likely an officer or a commander. And we hear about this Roman centurion who has a slave whom he valued highly. That's the translation that we heard this morning. And there's a number of Greek words in there that can be translated in a number of ways. Another translator that I ran across this week suggested my boy as a good translation here because it captures both the endearing quality that this centurion commander feels for his slave and also the demeaning. This slave whom this Roman centurion commander valued highly, his boy, was ill and near death. And at the end of the story, there are two delegations sent to Jesus from this Roman centurion. At the end of the this particular story, the second delegation returns to the house and finds the slave restored to health, the slave who is still a slave. It's good to have just seen Amy's drawing of on the journey with Jesus because it reminds us that it was just a couple of weeks ago that we were in Luke 4 when Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah and then he proclaims the year of Jubilee, the year of God's favor, fulfilled in their midst. He says prisoners will be released. That power structures will be upended. And here was a chance. Here was a chance just a couple chapters later to actually do that, to actually liberate a prisoner and to upend a power structure. But instead, there's not even an explicit challenge of the centurion, of the centurion commander. Jesus doesn't challenge him or the power structure of which he is a part. Even more, the centurion describes his own imperial and military power. He describes his command authority, he says, I, I get authority, you know, through his delegation because he and Jesus never actually meet in person, but through his delegation, he communicates to Jesus, I get it. 
I'm a man with a lot of power and I tell people what to do and they do it. So you are also a man with a lot of power. So why don't you just go ahead and do this from a distance? And in response to that, what the text tells us, what Luke says is that Jesus was, quote, amazed by him amazed by this centurion commander who's just described his military imperial command structure power. And then Jesus turns to the crowd around him and tells them that not even in all of Israel has he found such faith. Faith? Faith? Jesus calls that faith? I want Jesus to do so many things differently in this story. <sighs> and even more, what happens in this story to me seems so inconsistent with who we proclaim Jesus to be, so inconsistent with the overall gospel message of who Jesus is, so inconsistent with what Jesus himself said about his mission just a couple chapters before. Well, folks, there's the bad news. Now, for some good news. Jesus has compassion for a woman who is suffering. And without her even having to ask, without her having to name it, without her having to profess faith in Jesus or in God or in in anything or anyone without any of that, Jesus just merely out of his noticing and seeing and compassion and mercy offers her healing and restoration. We know in this text that she is a widow. And so we know that she has lost her husband and also her only son, but more than that. So she is dealing with grief, just grief at loss the death of beloveds. But not only that, to be a widow in this time and place was also an economic reality. She was experiencing the economic reality of vulnerability. We don't know much about what the social safety net was at her time. We do know that she's with a crowd of people. So there does appear to be some kind of social safety net, but we also all know how limited those can be. She's in a vulnerable position. And Jesus, in this case, makes good on his Luke 4 promise of proclamation of good news for the poor because he cares for her and he cares for her economic well-being, for her wholeness in a holistic kind of sense. He has compassion for her suffering both personally and also systemically. And this reveals a God who has compassion and mercy in the face of suffering. That's good news. So what to say? What to say about this bad news and good news kind of situation that we have going on here? Well, first of all, both of these stories are more complex than the bad, good binary. And you're probably already going there. What do we make of a story in which one is raised from the dead? Oh. I don't know, I don't know. In both cases, I try to see some kind of golden thread. Is there some kind of thread through these? 
in both cases, what I do notice is that there is um, that Luke in his gospel recognizes the interconnectedness of human life and human death. There are no clear borders between human lives. Sometimes we talk about like the decisions that we are making sort of individually on our own life path, um, but there are no clear borders between human lives and how we live and how we die, that has huge reverberations into our communities around us. Whole communities are impacted by choices of life and by the experience of death. Jesus enters into these interconnected human complex communities and he is concerned with restoration, restoration for the whole community. So that is one thread that I do notice. But I want to take us back one more time to Luke 4, to the story of Jesus reading from the scroll of Isaiah and then preaching what we often call his first sermon in his hometown. There are some parallels in these two stories that we just heard this morning, some pretty astounding parallels, in fact. The first story, the story of the Roman centurion and the slave whom he highly favored, echoes the story of Elisha and the Syrian soldier Naaman from 2 Kings. I'm not going to go into all the details right now, but there's some striking parallels through both of those stories. The second story, the story of the widow in Nain, echoes the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath from 1 Kings. Again, striking similarities through both stories. So here we have our bad news and our good news stories in Luke, and they very closely mirror these two stories from the two books of Kings. And what's interesting is that passage in Luke 4, where Jesus reads from Isaiah and then preaches his first sermon to the hometown crowd, he references those two exact stories in Kings, the ones that we now see in Luke paralleled in a different form. And it is when he does that that the hometown crowd drives him to the cliff to throw him off because they are so troubled by the story that Jesus is telling about God's mercy for the outsiders, God's mercy for the folks that the crowd doesn't want God to really have mercy on. Thank you very much. They are so troubled by what Jesus is saying, they drive him to the cliff to throw him off. When I read Luke 4, as we did just a few weeks ago, and I'd have to go back and look at my, look back at, listen to my sermon. I think I preached that morning. Um, I'll just confess to you that I often distance myself from that crowd. We read that story and I think, oh, oh, that poor hometown crowd of Jesus. They just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. They didn't get the good news liberation that Jesus was offering to them. They were so scared so troubled, so challenged that oh, those, those silly crowds trying to drive them off a cliff. I mean, I would never do that. Of course, I get what Jesus is doing in that sermon, and isn't it brilliant and really wonderful? So I distance myself in Luke 4 
from the crowd who is troubled by Jesus. And now three chapters later, <laughs> I am troubled. I'm confused. I know it would be anachronistic to uh, just noticing somebody coming unmuted. Oh, I too have been muted. Hello. <laughs> it would be anachronistic to uh, look at the story of the Roman, Roman centurion, the commander, the officer, and his slave. It would be anachronistic to look at that and compare it to chattel slavery in the United States. They're not exactly the same. But it also, uh, we're, not, we're also not talking about the sort of charming, quaint, uh, domestic servitude that we might experience in Downton Abbey, for example. That's also not what, what is happening in this story. Um, this is really one person owning another person. And while I don't exactly feel the urge to drive Jesus off a cliff in my being troubled and confused by this story, I would sort of like to drive him into a corner and not let him leave until he explains himself adequately uh, or fixes it. This story needs a fix, Jesus. Fix it. <laughs> today, <clears throat> today I am not going to tie a neat bow around this sermon, around these scripture reflections. As a preacher and as a pastor, part of my task and our task week to week, part of our calling and our role is to wade through the struggle with a community, to wade through the struggle of engaging the scripture and trying to make sense of it and trying to make sense of our worlds. Part of what I understand my role to be is to wade through some of that struggle with you, with you, my community and to try to find a way to a good news word, which doesn't always mean happy necessarily. It doesn't always mean that things are tied up in a happy way, but to some sort of meaning, to make some kind of meaning, to, to sink into some deeper level of understanding, pointing to a God who longs for healing, who longs for wholeness and for shalom justice for all of creation. That is my proclamation, that is my truth. So I, I'm saying that out loud to you, but I also wanna say that the danger in this approach is that struggle can just be seen then as a plot device. Struggle is just a temporary season on the way to making meaning and making sense. And sometimes that doesn't give adequate breathing space to the struggle to being troubled. So today, I wrap this up sitting in the experience of being troubled. And I'm just gonna allow that to be. And to remember 
that this too is faith. This too is faith. This too is faith. Friends, let's, let's continue in a spirit of prayer, holding up our community, one another, and the world in this time. Beginning with words from our new hymnal. When we must bear persistent pain and suffer with no cure in sight, come, holy presence. Breathe your peace and gifts of warmth and healing light. Support us as we learn new ways to care for our bodies newly frail. Help us endure and live and love. Hear our complaint with when patience fails. We thank you for the better days when we may smile to greet the sun, to do our work with a clearing mind and bless your name when day is done. We pray with our community today. With Bill and Pat Shaver, we give thanks that their beloved joy came through surgery very well. We give thanks that the surgery was successful and the concern of cancer turned out not to be an issue. And together we pray for a fast and full recovery of joy. God, this day too, we bring to you not only our bodies, but our minds. We invite you into the spirits of people struggling with mental illness, anxiety, and thoughts of death. That in this time of isolation and stress, it has been especially difficult for those who already struggle. 
surround those folks and their families with the support and care that they need. And we lift up this morning our dear Emily Gertz, who received news in the middle of the night that her mom took a sudden turn for the worse and died. God have mercy. For the emotional whiplash of thinking that mom was recovering and then to hear this news. We pray for Emily and her siblings and the whole family as they grieve. God, be near to them and hold them in your care. We lift up today to Kent Unra, who has had a medical procedure moved up to this coming week. We pray for a spirit of readiness within Kent and the medical team. And we pray that Kent and Jeanette and Corey and Kai would experience the comforting presence of God and community holding and surrounding their family through this next chapter. We pray for teachers who feel a loss of agency when school boards are making decisions on their behalf for safety for themselves and their students as they return to class this week in Bellevue and in the coming months in and around Seattle. Beyond our state, beyond our region, we lift up the leaders of the Apache stronghold who continue their vigilant protection of Oak Flats, whose waters and geography have sustained Apache people for time immemorial. It is their Garden of Eden. We pray that the injunction that has been submitted against the Copper Mining Corporation will hold and buy time for the efforts to have lines snuck into a 2014 federal budget bill removed which would cut off Resolution Copper's claim to open a huge pit mine. Apache Stronghold asks that we pray our oldest prayers in our own traditions, calling on the protection of the spirit of life. May it be so. Turning to the chat. Oh my, with Gray and Isaac, who had to put Sue down. On Tuesday, she was unable to walk, took her to the vet, no answers and no guarantees for answers. And all that we knew was that she was in pain and confusion and anxiousness. And they had to let her go around midnight. It was so quick and so hard to conceptualize as a service dog, she was more than a pet. She was Gray's freedom for so long grieve with you. Prayers with Melissa Kelly for the families of the victims in the Gainesville, Georgia poultry plant. May their co-workers be held in community. May there be protection from more harm and recovery from the trauma. With Laura Graham Prayers for friends, Joanne and Matt, and all the people of Myanmar due to the military coup, which is throwing lives in great upheaval. With Ruth praying for her mom, Gretchen, for an upcoming 
tooth recovery, uh, tooth removal this week. Praying with Anna Lena for her friends Mandy and Harry who lost their baby last month. Miscarriage at 23 weeks. Arthur had trisomy 18. We continue in holding also the prayers that are unspoken for whom we cannot find words, but are holding in our hearts and minds. In ease or pain, in life or death, to you, O God, our fragile lives belong. And so we trust you in all things. You are our hope, our health, and our song. Let us sing together. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. When I call, answer me. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Come and listen to me. We continue in a spirit of prayer with gratitude for all the gifts that each of you offer to this congregation, both monetary and otherwise, and we are grateful for the means to be able to collect those offerings digitally. Grant us, God, the grace of giving with a spirit large and free. That ourselves and all our living we may offer unto thee. Our closing song is again with Melanie and Jonathan Jesus Christ is waiting. Jesus Christ is waiting, waiting in the streets. No one is his neighbor, all alone he eats. We need to start again. Find that note. Sorry, friends. Jesus Christ is waiting, waiting in the streets. No one is his neighbor, all alone he eats. Listen, Lord Jesus, I am lonely too. Make me friend or stranger, fit to wait on you. Jesus Christ is raging, raging in the streets. Where injustice spirals and real hope retreats. Listen, Lord Jesus, I am angry too. In the kingdom's causes, let me rage with you. Jesus Christ is healing, healing in the streets. 
curing those who suffer, touching those he greets. Listen, Lord Jesus, I have pity too. Let my care be active, healing just like you. Jesus Christ is dancing, dancing in the streets, where each sign of hatred he with love defeats. Listen, Lord Jesus, I should triumph too. Where good conquers evil, let me dance with you. Jesus Christ is calling, calling in the streets. Who will join my journey? I will guard their feet. Listen, Lord Jesus, let my fears be few. Walk one step before me, I will follow you. As we close, I invite you to receive this benediction. Go knowing that you are beloved by God. Go knowing that you are held when the news is bad or complicated. Go praising God for the good news in Jesus Christ. Go living the message of God's grace, peace, and love. Amen. <laughs>